Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures. And as always, I'm with my co-host and co-founder, Dr. Trey Sturdish. Trey, good afternoon. Hello. <laughs> Happy birthday. We are recording on your birthday, yes. March 4th, one year older, one year or like a decade wiser since in the past year, you've been on the front lines of the <laughs> pandemic with a decade's worth of experience and, and just aged, yeah, haggard. Just come on with a beard. Well, Trey, we're doing something a little different again today. Uh, continuing on our series of what's wrong with healthcare, something that you and I have talked about offline is this notion of patients not having good support structures. Mm. And the lecture that you recorded about you know, the story of Mr. Smith, as we call it, sort of the introduction to managing your uh, chronic disease or managing chronic disease from a doctor's perspective, you talk about patients having good support as, as one of the three essential pillars that you look for when coaching patients. And through our work to build Translate Your Doctor, we got incredibly lucky to get connected with someone that manages an incredibly large support group on Facebook for patients that have congestive heart failure, Maggie. And so we invited Maggie to join us for a conversation about support, about supporting patients that have chronic disease, about what she's learned and managing this incredibly large support group on Facebook. So we thought it would just be an interesting conversation to talk a little bit about what's challenging when patients don't have support and what positive outcomes we can have when patients do have support. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I was the seminar itself was delightful, but it, I think again the most surprising thing that we found, as you've introduced when, when you were talking earlier, is that how lovely it was to meet all these people from a variety of backgrounds with different types of heart failure, different experiences at different points in their life. And Maggie seemed very central to this because she was really able to draw out a lot more from individuals in the group than I think you or I could because she sort of served as an intermediary. That's what it felt like. Well said. Okay. Without further ado, we'll transition into the interview. <laughs> All right. I just got this corrected. I'd like to introduce Maggie Taliska. Maggie, thank you so much for joining Trey and I on the Translate Your Doctor podcast. Thanks for having me. And we just got done chatting a little bit to get all ourselves all, all oriented. Maggie, you, a trainer, are here in Dallas. You are in the, the Northeast? I'm in Northeast in the Boston area. Yeah, great. And then for we got connected through uh, through Facebook as Trey and I were, were trying to find places to go spread the good word about what we're trying to do with Translate Your Doctor. We connected with you on Facebook through the con one of the congestive heart failure support groups that you're the, the lead administrator for, maybe the only administrator for that. I lead that with Chris. We have two, two of us admins. Great. And how long have you been managing that support group for? I believe we started in 2016. Chris and I met in a under 55 heart attack group. And while it was great content there, we just didn't feel it really addressed heart failure patients because some people can have a heart attack and fully recover within a day. And they didn't understand us, we didn't understand them. So while we're still members of that group, we decided to uh, start our own group because people with normal EFs just didn't understand us was our motto. And then your, if you don't mind sharing, what, what brought you into, I'm assuming you, you've had a, a medical event that led you towards looking for those kinds of groups yourself? 
sure at age 42, after hiking five miles in Michigan, I was living in Michigan at the time, I suffered a SCAD, a sudden coronary artery dissection, which led to a pretty bad heart attack. I had two very large clots in my LAD, which doesn't give, has a great term called the Widowmaker. You know, I was stented and they expected me to get better within a couple of days and even a couple of weeks and my heart did not. So I'm still suffering from a low ejection fraction, therefore, you know, a low EF. And since then it's been five, almost six years and took a lot of learning, but it's, it's kind of like walking in the dark when you're first diagnosed. It was quite the shock, no pun intended, but you leave the hospital after being tethered to all this equipment where everybody is at your side at any notice to being completely alone. And while I have a very supportive family, you tend to get a lot of unsolicited advice as well. Connecting with other patients really brought me back to life, I have to say, because patient peers are the best thing. They get it, they listen to you, you listen to them. And so that's why we went onto Facebook to find a group, found that, and then everything kind of led to another. And Chris and I now have our own pretty large Facebook group, over 13,000 as of this week. And would you consider yourself a maybe evangelist is a, is too weird a, a word, but you, from what I've seen in the group, you're regularly out expanding your knowledge. You're, you're just constantly increasing your own personal understanding of, of heart failure and of you're listening to cardiologists on clubhouse. You're bringing that knowledge back to the, back mm-hmm. to the, to the group. What percentage would you say is I'm just intensely curious because this has life altering impacts for me. And I, I also feel like I'm representing this group and I, and I owe it to them to bring information back. What, what, what's the split there? Sure, it's probably about 50-50. I'm intellectually curious, just coming from a science background, but also the technical part of all of this keeps me from freaking out. Just, you know, even the surgeries, the the conditions and things, knowing the science behind it just keeps my mind busy. So I'm not thinking about how I'm feeling or what could possibly be going on. But then I do feel that, you know, as an admin of this group, I've been with this group for you know, three to four years, I owe it to them to bring whatever I learn uh, back to them. So anytime there's a webinar, anytime there's um, any type of seminar, uh, there was a recent paper about the classification of heart failure recently. So I put that in the group. I also write for heartfailure.net and share anything that's published there within the group. And, you know, we're just, we're a great group that helps each other. And I I don't know that I would have recovered as well without interacting with other patient peers. They're my family, kind of better sometimes than, than your normal family with a tree. Um, we're connected mm-hmm. by a, a health ailment versus a tree branch. Trey, when when you've talked about some of the essential elements involved in, in patients needing care, you've mentioned family as something that you look for, that, that your patients that are in the hospital that have loved ones and have people around them that clearly care for them, that they seem to have different outcomes than those that are isolated or, or there's a disconnect, family doesn't really know what's going on with the patient. I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, what, what's been your read on what Maggie's doing and, and the impact that you're seeing as a, as a physician or what you would expect from engagement with a group like that? Yeah. I love the breadth of it. Meaning that, because I'm just fascinated sitting here listening to you, Maggie, because, you know, you're, you're someone who we generally call intellectualizes their disease, which is what you describe, which is, I want to know all the details. I want to understand it because it gives me solace. And there are people on the other end of the spectrum, which is, I don't want to know anything. Don't you, don't even tell me my diagnosis. How dare you? <laughs> like, you're going to go through my daughter and she's going to handle everything and I'm just going to show up 
my things and I think I'm going to the dentist, but I'm actually not, you know, I mean, there are people who are that extreme about it. And, and it's, I think that's why I say breadth of the group calling back to our seminar a couple of weeks ago, what I found. So again, reinvigorating, I see this every day in my practice, but reinvigorating when you're talking with a group of patients, it's just how each one is different in what they need, want, you know, would benefit most from, because sometimes you may not want something or know you need it, but you'd benefit from it. And until you're exposed to a group with such a breadth, you'll never really know. It's almost like traveling is to, you know, just living as these groups or peer navigators are to health and combating illness. So that's what I think I'm left with is just what a benefit being exposed to how everyone deals with their illness. And so it normalizes what you might be experiencing. Because again, people, as I think unique as we feel we are, there are archetypes and people just fall into those things. And it's nice to see echoes of yourself. And sometimes it's even nicer to see people who have a completely different stance. You're like, wow, I would have never have done that. We also started crowdsourcing information, questions to ask your doctor, things for your hospital bag. I threw it all on a website just to make it easier, but I find that very valuable because we all have different um, experiences sometimes. And even the questions to ask your doctor, it's a 17 page document, but it covers just about anything you can think Mm -hmm. of. And it just is a nice thing to have that you can maybe check off or consider when you're going to talk to your doctor. So I think the group has also help me communicate with my my care team and it's helped others communicate with their care team it's enabled certain conversations that might not have you know mm-hmm. occurred to the patient or even the doctor before and i think my doctors appreciate it that i'm not coming in saying you know i saw a dr oz last week so right. dr google said so right. i think it's 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 much more appreciated that it's patient peer talk and where i'm getting my questions from <laughs> Yeah, I would, fr- I frankly, I would, I mean, again, I can't speak for all doctors. It's so unfortunate to be the the professional, I imagine, on any sort of pocket, because it's like you represent that person. If I was a lawyer, I'd represent the law and stuff. So I don't, I think it's unfair to the profession of, of medicine that, that I try and speak for it. So I'm, I'm not attempting to, but I do think that certainly for me, yeah, it can be not, not frustrating because I so want my patients to engage, but you know, when they're not really being purposeful about where they're going for their information because they don't know what to ask. I think that's number one. Number two is then again, can I appraise these sources? And so, and so I like what you're describing because it's, you know, you're really trying to form that partnership with your physician and your healthcare team to say, listen, this is where I got it. I want, I want to help. Like (laughs) I want to help and I need this information, which is extremely helpful from a physician standpoint. I'm curious, Maggie, from your perspective, what led you to even engaging with a, a group on Facebook to begin with? What was there a gap that you felt? What kind of support did you did you get even after your initial diagnosis? Sure. I mean, I had my family, and they were they they are they were great and are great. At that point, I wasn't in cardiac rehab, which I also think is a very good program for people to get a prescription to. Every twitch and pain and pang I had, I thought I was dying. Mm. It's it's. Again, you, you come out of the hospital after being tethered to all this equipment that's making sure you're okay. So of course I'm online trying to find Dr. Google. And then I I found a nonprofit heart organization. I can't remember which one, but they had a, a forum. And I saw somebody that was going through the same thing that I was going through. She had had her, her scad four days after. 
and we connected and she's one of my best friends now even though we've met once in person and she lives um, down in Miami but then we found a Facebook group because mm -hmm. that meeting her was the best thing for me and we're truthful with, with each other you know there's no candy coating anything she ended up having another calf during this time and she had me on video as she was being rolled in and, and being rolled out. So then we found Facebook groups and then, you know, that led to another. And then we were both in the, the heart attack one. And that's where I met Chris when we were kind of grimacing sometimes when people said, you just need to get better. You know, the people with the low EFs and some people can, you know, not be as sensitive as maybe some people need. So that's, you know, that, that led us to, to start our own group. Who said that? I'm just curious. So where, where would you hear that predominantly from? A lot of athletes, so they might have a heart issue and they would say, you know, you just don't want to get better. And mm -hmm. for me, I know my condition, half of my heart is dead. I live a very active life. I mean, after I'm on here with you guys, I'm going five miles on my treadmill, but my heart's not going to get better mm -hmm. because I want it to, or because I eat keto or because I eat plant-based. In fact, I was plant-based six months when I had my heart attack. I tried to tell them, well, that didn't work so well. Um, so some people can be very aggressive. Some people can be very competitive. My condition's worse than yours or this, but we found in, in some of those groups, there was a lot of people that just looked down on with words in their posts on people who weren't getting any better. And some of us aren't going to get better. And that's just some, and not better in a you know, I'm, I live a great life. I, I'm very fortunate. Sure, but, sure, 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 sure. You know, my heart EF is not going to increase. And I know that. I've never heard that. I'll be honest mm -hmm. with you. Now, that's not calling it that. It's not meant to be accusatory. But like oh, that no, is, no, no, it no. just speaks to, even though I've taken care of thousands of people, you know, it, it's, you, you hear new things all the time. And I will say, this is why I think it would be so beneficial from an educational standpoint for healthcare providers learning and, and learning what peer groups can do is that, you know, you, 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 there's a certain shield, as much as I get yelled at, <laughs> and I get yelled at, but there's a, a certain shield to being a physician when you walk into a room. Not everyone is going to be honest with you, but also not everyone is going to be mean to you, or at least pointed. And I think that peer groups, obviously, as you're describing, it sounds like there's some pointed conversations about things I just wouldn't think there would be competition and pointedness about. Can you speak more to, I don't know. I don't want to be yeah, negative. Absolutely. I just... There was a lot around diets for a long time and we've cut that out of our group. So I do have mm. keywords for keto, plant-based, paleo, all of that. So people who got better from a keto diet swear that is the one and only way that you're going to get better. And if you don't listen to me, you don't want to get better. Mm. So we had a lot of that. I don't know what keto does to the brain that makes you think you're invincible. And that's the only thing. I mean, I don't, I know heart stuff. I don't know the brain stuff so well, but I found it a lot with the diet people. And then also, you know, we do have the CBD scammers that, you know, CBD helped me. So that's the only thing buy from me. And then just looking down upon others who aren't going to follow that. And then people who did get better based if they think it's from a diet or some sort of change or some supplement nutrient that they've taken, they want to brag about it and be the, the know-it-all source. And, and despite telling them we're all different, we all have different things, please talk to your care team about it. You know, they will continue to go on and then they get the boot. People are fascinating. I don't know. Yeah. That's one of the things that, you know, that I love about medicine. It's just people are fascinating. Yeah. And you can hide behind your Facebook profile, right? All you want and then spew out these things. So it's just, yeah, it was a lot around the diets. Um, okay. All right. That just then, then became, well, you just don't want to get better. And that's not the case. Yeah. 
it speaks patrick to what you were talking about earlier which is the introduction uh, maggie to this high control mm-hmm. low control the control spectrum as we kind of talk about i mean we haven't formally called it that but you know there are just certain diseases where you have a more impact on your outcome to a certain extent than others and patrick i don't know if you want to speak further to it yeah i think that that's something that train I've uh, built a service to try to empower is helping patients understand when they're in a high control category or, or if they are, are in a high control spectrum or even within heart failure as you've talked about Maggie there, there's complexities within heart failure there might be things that are much lower control within heart failure than than higher control but helping patients to understand almost both ends if you're in a lower control spectrum it's not doom and gloom but you're not you are not going to just brute force your ejection fraction to w- where you want it to be and and that and there's something around coming to terms with that and on the on the high control end also not being doom and gloom around hey there are things that you can control Maggie, i think you're a great example of having a level of understanding and peace with the elements of your illness that you can't control while also being very proactive and very active around, you know what, I can go and get support. I can go and get educated and informed and understand my illness and really feel like you're probably more plugged in and aware of your health now than you were a decade ago. I didn't even have a primary care physician when I had a heart attack. And, and so in some ways, I bet, you you're, I bet you're healthier now, even with your illness. I bet you're healthier now than you were before through understanding I can be in control of these, of these things. And you know what? Because I can't control this stuff over here, I'm going to take extra care with the, these things that I, that I can control. Even, you know, I keep saying I'm going to get on the treadmill after I keep saying that to make sure I do get on the treadmill. I can't, you know, I can't go at an incline. My heart just can't take that. But I can power walk five, four or five miles on a flat surface. And that's what I do. So while my EF is never going to get better, I'd say never, but it's optimizing my quality of life for the situation I'm in. And like I said, I, I, I do a lot, even though half my heart doesn't work or half the function is, is is gone. When Trey and I do these episodes, we think about giving people an, an inside look in healthcare. So we want to let people behind the curtain because healthcare can be very oppressively insider friendly. There's a bunch of acronyms and there's a bunch of rules that people know. Oh no, you need to go to a specialist for that. Like I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and then also giving people advice. We, we like to have in every episode giving people advice. And, and what I think your case reinforces, Maggie, is you know, regardless of where you're at with your illness, getting more informed is always the right answer. If you have something that is actively making an impact on your life, especially a deeply negative impact, ignorance is never going to be helpful. Ignorance is bliss. It was not meant for situations uh, <laughs> like this. Ignorance is deadly in this sense because you don't understand and you can't be empowered. Obviously, there's a line. Getting educated and informed on your own illness does not equate to you educating others and and being oppressive with information to others because you don't know what you know the, the people that were in the seminar Trey someone may have a completely different mm. type of of heart failure or different secondary conditions that you are not at all qualified to to speak into uh, Trey even you as a physician when we talk mm. about these things you're always very careful to not stray into providing blanket ad- medical advice. You, you try to provide general frameworks to think about things because people's individual treatment plans 
need to be specific to them with full understanding of their medical background. It speaks to the, the value of a doctor because I think that one could come away with a peer group, you know, experience to be like, this was so much better than my doctor ever was. I, I got to like, I got to talk all these things. And it's like, awesome. You know, it, 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 but it survives or it serves this purpose because what you're speaking to Patrick in my mind is one of the many reasons why we do have doctors, which is hyper individual. Like I'm going to shape your care. If, if that's a great interaction mm-hmm. and that relation facilitate. I don't know if you agree, Maggie though. And, you know, we try to keep people from asking for, for specific medical advice. Mm-hmm. You know, I always try to say if I'm on there, we're trying to help enable better conversations. It's a right? supplement. It's a supplement. It's a supplement, mm-hmm. absolutely. And here's the situation I was in. Here's some questions you can ask. I mean, the one thing mm-hmm. I always, whenever I'm at a Women Heart um, seminar or anything um, of that sort, I always ask the doctors, what's the one thing you want me to tell you when mm-hmm. I'm seeing you that you're not hearing? And you know, you get a lot of information there. One of the things I always say is tell them how you're feeling. If you're really, really tired all the time, you know, maybe there's some levers that they can move in your medication to give you a better quality of life because their job is to keep that heart rate down as low as possible. That doesn't feel good. So we're just really trying to enable better conversations Mm -hmm. as best we can. Of course, people will come on there for medical advice and Mm -hmm. we do have pre-approval on the posts. We try to stop that and just keep telling people that that's not what we're here for. So it, but it's hard. Some people do that anyway. Yeah. Your group embodies what train I believe is so essential to healthcare, which is relationships. And it's unfortunate that that healthcare did not naturally evolve to include communities, because especially with technology, I mean, imagine how difficult this would have been a decade and a half ago before Facebook, before Slack, before all these places where communities are popped up, where really you had to have these physical meeting places. And, and I would argue the traditional healthcare system did not do a good job leaning in, does not do a good job of leaning into this space. I'd be curious, Maggie, post your diagnosis, you know, maybe you got good resources from your physician, but you know, my father and mother both have individualized chronic diseases and got terrible information from their physicians, good physicians who provide great care. And it's so, the physician's job is so difficult already, so hard already that it can be easy to reduce the scope of what they're meant to do to just the X's and O's, the ones and zeros of medicine, and to abandon these, the not exactly the social determinants of health, those, though those are important, but the mental and emotional things that happen after, uh, outside of the exam room, especially with a life-changing illness that you, most people that have heart failure, when they pass, from this earth, it they will carry that heart failure with them. It's not just going to resolve itself. A life-changing diagnosis. So anyways, there was a question buried in there. I'm curious, <laughs> what, what kind of information did you get from your, from your provider? Did you get something that felt substantive? At first, no. And this was, again, still in Michigan. And I think I you know explained earlier to you guys or in a different session that the doctor I was seeing, I just didn't gel with. And I think he had a different, you know, job to do and that that's was his job cardiac rehab was really good for me yeah. not only being with other patients but i had nurses that i could speak to and ask questions of i mean when you're on a lot of blood thinners too you know you bruise a lot so you know i'm sitting there with this huge bruise looking like i had you know been beaten up and i wasn't in holland michigan but you know being able to ask them they also you know took us through the medication because you know i went from zero to ten pills overnight 
it was yeah. and even my mom who's got you know two degrees in math i have three in chemistry we could not count and figure out the pills we had to eat. Yeah. but there was a lot of edu there's a great educational component to cardiac rehab that really helped out now some information i got you know of course when you're a heart failure patient don't eat salt don't drink water so I took that to the extreme and didn't eat salt or take water, and that was actually pretty bad. I ate salmon every day too, which is not a good idea. Um, but it took, I was so afraid, and you know, you're, you're told don't do this, do this. You're kind of barked at a lot, and I, I was like, okay, you know, copy that. I'm gonna not drink water or not have any salt. You do need salt and water in your diet in moderation. Right. <laughs> don't eat salmon every night. It doesn't taste good, and uh, I don't think you need all those omega threes. Were, were you prescribed cardiac rehab or did you have to solicit it? I had to ask for it. Somebody, well, I was still lying flat on my back. I was on my back for a couple of days with the balloon in my heart. Somebody kept coming and asking me if I want it. And I'm like, I can't even sit up right now. So at my first appointment, I was seeing the PA had seen me and I had asked him about it. And he's like, I think that'd be a good idea for you. Mm. And that's something in the group we tell people ask about that. Even in the virtual space now, I think they send you equipment and not only did I get the education, but going from hiking five miles in sand dunes every day to nothing, I was terrified to even walk. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just uh, wrote an article about this. You know, there was a milestone when I got to two miles an hour. There was a milestone <laughs> when I got to walking for 30 minutes in cardiac rehab. And the first day I cried, I, I was terrified mm -hmm. to walk, but I, it gave me the confidence to succeed. Yeah, the, the I, I, there's something in what you just said that I really want to highlight, and that's a, a theme I'm going to take away from this conversation, which is I think we underestimate how much patients, especially good patients, and gosh, Trey, there's an episode just on that, <laughs> which is yeah. if the doctor tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. And I just am so faithful to my physician and what they tell me to do. But there's also a shadow to that, which is if my doctor did not specifically tell me to do it, I'm not going to do it. If that support group was so great, my physician would have told me about it. If yeah. cardiac rehab was so great, my doctor would have told me about it. And Trey, I think part of what you and I need to take away is, is, is when we have these conversations is to tell patients your physician is doing their very best. Regardless of who your physician is, they are doing their very best and they are pressed for all the reasons that healthcare is so hard that take some of the pressure off your physician by taking some ownership of looking into support groups, looking into other therapies that are appropriate with your condition. Ask your doctor about them. Still defer to your physician's expertise, but don't put the the onus on them to own every part of your care plan that's trade come in behind me here that's not what they're meant to do yes and no you're, you always hate my nuance it's complex answers and so on yes i agree with what you're saying entirely but there are people who just benefit that i mean it culturally uh, ethnically educationally, socioeconomically, so many people impact healthcare certain ways. And, and, but I would say a vast majority of people are exactly as you described, which is, you know, they shouldn't just rely upon that, what, what their physician says, because yeah, you just, you just don't know that there are alternatives. You may not know that there, there are these things for whatever your disease state is. And that's why I talked earlier to the breadth of a, of a peer group is so important because if you can see a diversity of experiences, you'd be like, oh, well, 
you know, I don't think I like that idea of doing, you know, aquatic exercise because I'm afraid of water. But you know what? I really like what Maggie's talking about with the sand dunes or having an, you know, an inside treadmill. You know, we've had that Nordic track out. Maybe we could grab that. You know, you just don't know until you know. It's a great. Even, I used to walk Walmart every every day because it was 2000 steps and I had a cart just in case I had to rest. Your walker, your walker. (laughs) But it got me out. And I was like, if I walk every single Mm -hmm. aisle, my Fitbit was saying I walked a mile. You know, you can do things just like that. You know, I I do strip mall walking Mm -hmm. just when it's cold out in case I can't handle the cold. I can run into a store if I have to. There are ways to to be active at a lower exertion level. And I, I mean, I literally tell my patients all the time when I'm advising about an exercise that I said in the seminar, which is just, you don't need to run a marathon. I think so many people hear exercise and they're like, oh, I have to go to the gym or I have to run. Those are the two things that seem to pop into their minds first. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not, that is not what we're talking about. I mean, that'd be great, of course, but that is so few options. And I think that's a perfect encapsulation of what Patrick's talking about when talking to physicians, which is, The physician might say one or two options because he or she has that experience. It speaks to what I fear the most as a physician and what I educate all of my learners over and over and over again, the unknown unknown, which is just that to be like, oh, well, I didn't even know that was something that I should be worried about. And I didn't even know that that was something that I should recommend my patient because I've never spoken with somebody who's of Inuit descent who can only eat, you know, seal fat because they live up there. You know, it's like, I just didn't even, cause I, I mean, I said, get, eat vegetables. There are no vegetables up here. And it's like, wow, I, I know that's an extreme example, but I just mean to say, you don't know until you're talking with someone and they're like, I can't do that. Oh, all right. Well, I guess I got to go back to the drawing board, but it's unfair. Like Patrick's saying to put all that on one person and that can make the physician feel bad. Not that that matters. I mean, it does, but, but of course the patient, but you know, you, you in the end want to help the the patient. And I think are great. It's a team, right? Yeah, team right. And you have to take ownership because not only coming with the suggestions and the right questions, having that good conversation, mm-hmm. but going back and doing your part. You know, I'm not just because I'm on cholesterol medication preventatively doesn't mean I'm just going to go downstairs and eat a bunch of cholesterol, right? Um, I'm still not going to do that. Or you know, I'm on blood pressure meds, so I can I am drinking a little salt water, but that's only for the treadmill. Sure. <laughs> doctor prescribed, but I'm not going to, you know, go and have uh, chicken noodle soup and, and the gallons just because I know my diuretic or something is going to take care of it. Right, right, right. That's 100%. So I don't know. It, Patrick, what do you think after filtering through what we've all been talking about? What do you think is the thing we want patients to take away or maybe we can highlight to make sure that we kind of wrap that bow? Yeah, I think the, you know me, I do my checklist on what did patients learn in this episode. Mm -hmm. And and what I hope the listener heard in this is that uh, you have a responsibility and a privilege because there's such great information out there, too much information, and your provider is, your care team is an appropriate filter for this information to see what kind of support groups are out there. And there's, there's low commitment. You're not buying anything. You're not purchasing anything. It's really easy to find a group with whatever condition that you're going through, whatever life-altering medical event has happened, you know, find a group of people that are like you. Maggie, it seems like it has had a, a monumental mm-hmm. change in, in your life. The, your best friends you've met because yeah, uh, of this. Yeah, family, part of your family. I love that. I, I love that framework. So that's, you know, that's what I think the, the patient takeaway needs to be. 
And then a reminder that your provider is giving you a, a keyhole-sized look at something that we have all of these socially, you know, de social determinants of health for a reason. There are all of these other things that affect your healthcare. Don't leave the pressure on your physician to be the only thing standing in between you and a good outcome. Uh, outcome, which is the other reason to be having conversations, having a support group of people, expand your understanding of your illness, and, and take ownership of that. And for clinical providers that might be listening, because we are trying to include them in the conversation, translate both both ways. Maggie, I think someone like you should be at every cardiology practice across the, the country on a, on a volunteer basis, on a part-time basis. I think having an advocate, someone that is so passionate about their illness to, to talk to patients and to be available for, you know, a doctor talks to a patient and it's like, I'm not sure my patient's really understanding what's happening. Hey, I'm going to have you talk to Maggie. She's our office mascot for heart failure <laughs> and you're going to join the Facebook group. I, I, patients should have prescriptions to join the Facebook group, like park prescriptions, which are hot right now, and kind of the holistic medicine to go walk around the park, you know, <laughs> three times a week. There should be prescriptions to, to socialize with other people, to help patients really take seriously their engagement with their illness. I mean, we do it for wow. substance abuse. Yeah, right? that's true. We do it for abuse. We say that's the thing that you need to get with somebody who's sober. That's what I'm going to partner you up, and you're going to go be buddies together. I mean, I even have a patient bestie here. She's not a heart failure. She has other issues, but we go to each other's doctor's appointments because mm. I, you know, I have all of her records. I know exactly, you know, what needs if she forgets and same with her to me. And we're, it's not even the same ailment, but mm. we just, and it's, it's less emotional than bringing a family member, mm. but we have that. And I wish I could be at more places, but I think, you know, as, mm. if more car, uh, cardiology practices, I know the practice I go to, We'll be referring people to our group because they're also in the group and letting them know that we're out there. I do have a women heart group here in Boston that I'm just getting off the ground as a newly minted women mm -hmm. heart champion and just trying to provide some support virtually as best we can since mm -hmm. it does have, I mean, virtual is a great thing. I can extend yeah. it outside of Boston, but it's unfortunate we can't get together and give somebody a hug sometimes. That's mm -hmm. all they need is, let me just give you a hug. It's going to get better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> yes. Maggie, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I, I will say this, and, and uh, I think I speak for Trey too. I'm blown away by you, Maggie. I'm just absolutely blown away. Yet people talk about patient advocates and how we should have more patient advocates involved in medical decision making. And I've always thought that was just a industry term. Have a have someone representing the patient. I'll be honest, I've never understood what that meant until having this conversation. And I go, oh my gosh, there are Maggies out there. And it's like, absolutely. We need, Maggie is the patient advocate, someone that if I was doing anything that touched patients, I would want to talk to someone like Maggie because we get so insulated in healthcare, in our bubble, in our blind spots. We don't understand the patient context intimately, intimately. Someone who's in it every day like you does, and I, I feel like I've learned a lot just in having this conversation about patient advocacy and how important it is for, for patients to have someone like Maggie, like Maggie Teleska out there rooting for them and, and in their corner. So I think the world is, I mean this, the world's a safer, better place that with you out there doing what, what you're thank doing. You. So thank you for, for your unpaid volunteer, probably a part-time job or full-time job of, of energy <laughs> that you're putting in, into taking care of people. I, I bet you're saving lives. I really do. I think you're saving it's a, lives. It's also a coping mechanism and it's just, you know, it, it keeps, 
a lot of this is a mental recovery as well. <laughs> so it um, definitely is a help there. But mm -hmm. just add on to your, it's a two-way street too. You can't be so pa patient-centric as a patient. You have to understand and, and have the dialogue and have the relationship with your care team to get the best possible. Your doctor wants you to survive too. It's not a, it's not a fight, my father would think. Good team. Maggie, anything you'd leave uh, everyone with? Last words to the listeners? You know, if you're uh, diagnosed with something, especially with the word failure in it, it's it's devastating, but it gets better. It does get better. It might take some time, but you're going to have, you know, less bad days over time and you'll get a handle on your, your new condition, your new life, and things will be okay. Well, Maggie, thank you again so much. It was a pleasure to have you on, and we are definitely going to have you back on. We're just going to have you back on to get Maggie's thoughts on things. We're going to have a controversial topic, and Maggie's we'll need corner. the sure. voice of the pay. We'll have the voice of the patient. Maggie can break go. break a tie when Trey and I go. fight about things. Maggie, thank you so much. Absolutely, thanks for having me.